0: It's funny. The engineer who was helping us with that first product, and he, he's a good guy, and I, I still catch up with him every once in a while. Meaning, I don't certainly don't hold him or you know harbor any ill will. But he told me, "Do not buy a CNC machine." He's like, "You're, you're crazy. People don't just do that. You can't just do that. You can't just buy a machine and start making your product." And uh, that couldn't have been far <laughs> further from the truth.
1: This is SWARFCAST. I'm Noah Graf. Our guest today is John Saunders, founder of Saunders Machine Works, and the creator of NYC CNC, a YouTube channel devoted to learning skills in machining and CAD CAM software. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graph Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graph Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. Today, we are very happy to welcome John Saunders of Saunders Machine Works and the creator of NYC CNC. Welcome to the show, uh, John. Thanks for having me, Noah. So uh, let's just get right into it. Um, I saw a video you made. I think it was a video or, or something you wrote. You said, I'm not a machinist. I'm just a guy who happens to run machines. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and you're you're self-taught. I think you you right. said what? Why don't you uh, tell us about that? And uh, this is going to go. Um, you know obviously I'm going to ask you all about your businesses. But but what did you mean when you said this?
0: And y- y- yeah, I'll, I'll answer. It's funny because I used to think that this answer had some level of uniqueness to it, but it doesn't anymore. The more people I talk to seem to have similar stories, which is awesome. But really what I mean is I always felt like an outsider. Uh, I started this because I was trying to bring a product to market, and we had uh, CAD parts, solid models made, and prints and drawings done, and machine shops were hired, and parts were made, and I didn't have a clue. Uh, The example I always chuckle about is the engineer that we had originally hired asked me, or maybe it was one of the vendors, someone asked me about tolerances for a part or a fit. And I was thinking about answering the question in fractions of an inch because, you know, I had done a, a little bit of woodworking as a kid or, you know, carpentry, or I'm thinking, well, one thirty second is a pretty small number. Maybe that's okay. And I think that just speaks to how I just didn't know anything. I didn't know what an end mill was and a Bridgeport was and how parts were held and how they were machined and if you're for me trying to bring a product to market and that product is has a substantial number of machined parts uh, you've got to be smarter or have someone on your team that's smarter because you've got to make decisions about how the product is designed and how it's designed for manufacturing and then ultimately how it's priced and uh, whether you're making those parts in-house or subbing it out so um, I joke to this day that I'm not a machinist because I've figured out how to do many things. But the reality is I never went through the apprenticeship. I'm not a second generation shop owner family and I I don't have formal training.
1: And do you think that that actually is an advantage for you?
0: I think it certainly has advantages in the sense that uh, if if, if I had, say, grown up in a machine shop family, you would have inherited a lot of practices and beliefs probably from your mother or father and you might be a little bit more cynical and uh, to some degree caught, a level in, or, caught
1: in your ways the ways yeah. you were doing things
0: you know i didn't actually it's funny the engineer who was helping us with that first product and he, he's a good guy and I, I still catch up with him every once in a while um meaning i don't certainly don't hold him or you know harbor any ill will but he told me do not buy a CNC machine. He's like, you're, you're crazy. People don't just do that. You can't just do that. You can't just buy a machine and start making your product. And uh, that couldn't have been far, further from the truth. Yeah. Uh, and I think nowadays, which is cool, is that The sort of movements that there are, whether it's the maker movement or hackerspaces or YouTube or printing or Tormox or anything of that sort is much more prolific. And so there's more examples of other people doing it. But when I did this in 2007, you know, outside of like CNC zone or maybe practical machinists, there wasn't this like, hey, I'm just going to go buy a CNC machine and start using it.
1: Absolutely. It does take a certain uh, type of person with the chutzpah to do such a thing, but it's true. I mean, uh, lots of these things are self-taught anyways, as long as you don't, you know, blow up the machine in the process. Um, Before we go any further, I want to fill everybody in about your businesses. You own a machine shop, uh, you have a product, you have training courses, you have videos. Tell everybody what you guys do, and then I want to know your story. Sure.
0: So most people who probably seen us have maybe have some familiarity with the YouTube channel uh, NYC CNC. Uh, I started doing all this when I was living in New York City, hence the NYC name. Uh never thought it would become. I mean, literally, the reason I did it was I had a digital camera. You could make movies with Apple's iMovie software. And I thought, boy, if I'm struggling but interested, there's got to be like 10 other people that want to buy. At the time, it was a tag, you know, a little 80 pound benchtop CNC machine that I what had. What year next, was this? 2007.
1: Okay, and how old were you? Two, so uh, you're 11. To
0: 24.
1: 24. Okay, so you're about three years younger than me. Okay, so. At this point, you you had a product you wanted to bring to market, or you were just yes trying to figure out what what you wanted to do, or
0: so we had built a first prototype of this. Uh, I grew up as a competitive rifle shooter, so the product was in the shooting industry, and we had built a first prototype. And actually, to be honest, we got we got pretty lucky. We did a pretty good job, uh, given that it was a an auto resetting rifle target. So it was. It had AR-500 steel. It had, you know, w- uh, water jet cut parts. It had circuit board, a battery, a motor, sheet metal parts, machined parts. Um, you know, a pretty complex. You know, although it looks simple, the reality was it's that there's a lot that can go wrong in building something like that. That I now appreciate. And what was the a, product? Well, uh, it was a, about the size of a shoebox, and it was a battery powered, automatically resetting rifle target.
1: Oh, a a rifle target. Okay, very interesting.
0: Yeah, so for shooting long range uh, for military and law enforcement, they could set up quick ranges and not have to go down range, which is both takes a lot of time and is potentially unsafe to reset steel or to look at paper. And this gave them a way to shoot a target that actually fell down and then set set itself back up.
1: Cool. Uh, were you an engineer? Did you go to university?
0: Went to entrepreneurship. Uh, went to college for entrepreneurship. Um, never took physics. Never took any engineering classes.
1: Okay. So you, you had this product, did you have any, uh, partners or?
0: Initially, no. And then as I, uh, I started this my senior year of college and as I graduated, um, ended up bringing a friend on board to help, um, for a variety of reasons, including, you know, ideas and execution and you know, being able to bounce ideas off each other and, uh, and help, you know, get through the, a lot of early work, trying to figure out how to, go from nothing to having a legitimate business in the, you know, target industry.
1: Okay. Okay. And then you uh, you set up shop in your New York City apartment? Is that what happened? So we used the internet to find um, – an engineer,
0: a couple of different folks that we sent out RFQs to and kind of I'd built a wood version of this thing. I built a Lego version. Um I had done some mock-ups. There was there were some other players in this industry that had similar or either similar or directly similar type of products. So we sent them you know, we sent out examples or videos of those. And we I think probably ended up talking to three or four different either folks or companies to see who was a good fit and got their proposals and ended up picking an individual um, who was great? Again, like, that was the fellow I mentioned earlier. Um, so uh, at the time it was just uh, us working with him we didn't have we hadn't bought the machine yet uh, and in fact didn't end up buying that, that tag until after we'd finished the first prototype, which probably took a year or two and actually had decided to kind of stop the business just kind of shut it down because
1: sorry to interrupt what when you came up with the design for this did you draw it out on CAD or how did how did you know from start to finish did did you hire an engineer and or you had a, a another product you were emulating what was the process
0: yeah exactly what you just said and what I said a minute ago so I built um, I built a version out of Lego bricks I built one out of balsa wood um, I sent examples of uh, Looked at examples of other products that had similar functionality,
1: okay. Uh, okay. all that
0: kind of stuff. But I didn't own CAD. I didn't know how to use that or, frankly, even really what it
1: was. Okay. So um, so you, you got some partners, and then what?
0: Uh, went through sort of an A, alpha, whatever you want to call it, first prototype. So we uh, had the, the engineer at the time. He used Pro-E. So that was my first ever exposure to solid modeling. Um, and he would send us ideas and a couple, you know, he basically took over the design, but if he had a question, he would email us a couple of different screenshots and say, Hey, which, which makes sense. And we'd weigh in. Um, and then he hired his own, uh, machine shop with our permission. You know, he hired his contacts in the industry. So we had a, had to make a plastic rubber mold. We had to make machine parts. We had to have fabricated parts, uh, sourcing motors. And he, he basically quarterbacked all that because, uh, not because we weren't excited and and hungry to do so, but because we didn't know how to
1: okay okay and then what's what what is the thing about uh, having the machines in your in your apartment?
0: yeah, so at the end of um at the end of finishing that first prototype, we tested it. we were super happy. it worked better than we had thought it might. We discovered some problems that would need to change, but ultimately we weren't able to stomach going through another 6 to 9 months of prototyping the, the costs to do that would have been really high but also we realized we have no idea what this thing's going to cost so we can't even market it or think about the price point mm. um, you know we just realized we're not we t- we are passionate but we're not the right people to pick to to bring this product to market right now because we don't know what we're doing uh, and that's a tough pill to swallow when you're when you're young and passionate So we, we sort of said pencils down and that's when it occurred to me, why don't I just buy a machine? This stuff's fascinating. When I walked into that machine shop that made the parts, I thought that all that equipment was so cool. And um, I'd shown some of the parts that were made to a family friend who had said, Oh, why did they do a, you know, he started saying, why is this a stress riser? And why is this made out of a two? And those were all foreign words to me, but I thought, man, I want to, I want to have those sorts of opinions. So I, literally thought, hey, what's stopping me from buying a benchtop CNC machine and figuring out what Hmm. this software is and how to make parts? Again, no. the best case for me at the time was thinking that I would at least be comfortable then talking to machine shops on the phone. I had no aspirations of really owning the machine long-term, or let alone
1: buying more. And and how did you choose which machine you got?
0: Uh, The uh, Asian machines like the Grizzlies and Harbor Freights and Whatever, Siegs were too heavy uh, to get upstairs uh, in and in my apartment. So a tag, it was between a tag and a sure line, and the tag was, <laughs> I hate to, it's kind of funny to say this out loud, but the tag was more rigid. Does an apartment have enough power? Oh, these things run off of 110, probably three amps or something. Huh. Uh, a tag is literally uh, a very light duty machine.
1: Okay. And then you, you started producing in your apartment. And uh, and did you start making videos at that time? Were you kind of like documenting the process to people?
0: Yeah, that, in fact, those videos, I highly, highly discourage anyone from going back and looking for them, but they're still out there. Um, and I think I have videos documenting like the first machine setup and um, my first c- test cuts with it, aluminum and steel. Uh literally went to Home Depot and tried to find a piece of steel, which you know is a terrible idea, but I did. Um <laughs> you know, the the four flute back at the time there was that company Enco. So I get like these four flute Chinese end mills from Enco double sided for like three dollars, which was a lot of money to me. I was thinking three dollars, this bit you know, it's expensive, but um yeah. And and there was no goal. You know, I, we weren't working on the target company anymore. We were just, we sort of parted ways. So me, I was just thinking, let's make parts, let's figure this out. Um, you know, with no, there was no agenda, there was no schedule or, or, I wasn't trying to rush through it. Uh, it was, which is a good in hindsight because it gave me probably two to three years to really just enjoy it. And I immersed myself in it. I would use that machine every night, every weekend, uh, just made all kinds of parts on it,
1: so did you have a day job or yeah, yeah,
0: had a day job and, and kept that day job, which is the only way I could have been able to take the risks later. What were you doing um, working for a real estate company uh, well, that must be
1: really interesting though if if you wanted to go back and see you know this time uh, this process of you learning this passion i don't know i i think it might be very interesting to go back and and see so but mainly you were learning about how to run the machines on the web or how, how were you learning did you find somebody to come and teach you
0: yeah i couldn't and i one of the frustrating things about new york was you know you don't have a car so it's even if there was a machine shop you could drive to that would let you come in which they, they i don't know why they would i couldn't even do that so um, I got lucky. There were a couple of people on CNC zone who were pretty nice and there mm-hmm. were some decent articles, but what occurred to me was, you know, a, f- a web form is great for some specific troubleshooting, but video is such a better medium to share and learn. So that's what caused me to, um, uh, tr- just try to be, it's the campsite rules. You try to leave the place better than when you came. So I thought, well, wait a minute here. You've got, I've got folks who are willing to type out two-paragraph articles on what a work coordinate system is, maybe I can make a video for it, which is probably a better way to explain that or certainly a different way. And then if I go when I have problems or I need help online, hopefully I'll build a reputation as a guy who isn't just coming to selfishly receive information but not participate in the community, um, but rather be viewed as somebody who kind of pays it forward and is passionate about this. So that's legitimately why this is, I think YouTube... I probably did my YouTube channel for four years before YouTube even offered monetization. So there was no (laughs) ulterior motive there other than just being passionate
1: about it. So you would experiment with something and then post it on YouTube and then other people would help you after they saw what you were doing? Is that how it went? Yeah, sure. And then after you learned something, you said, hey, everybody, this is what I learned uh, and now you can learn from me. Yeah, sorry.
0: Of. I'm not sure it was that formulaic, but that was the general idea. That's really interesting.
1: Then, after you became proficient with the machines, um, then what happened?
0: So, what happened was after some period of time, maybe a year or two, I realized wait a minute here. That second version of that prototype, we kind of knew what needed to happen. And I had some of the original solid models from the first round. So, I just started doing it myself. And I, you know, when parts needed changed or tweaked i just did it and then i i just kept thinking well i'll stop when i can't go any further i'll stop when i get stuck I'll, <laughs> I'll stop when i fail and i just never failed and i literally built probably took me six months but i literally built that whole second prototype um i couldn't build a couple of the things that were you know larger water jet parts but we then i basically built everything i could in my apartment and we literally had the second prototype in our hand which was Awesome.
1: And everything you learned was online, basically. You didn't have anybody come to your place, and um, it was it was really basically learned remotely.
0: Yeah. The o- only exception would be um, back at the time, I don't know if it's still around or not, there was a website called SmartFlix, which was kind of like Netflix, but it was DVDs, and you could basically get uh, membership copies of these instructional videos. And I don't think there were any on CNC, but I did end up renting, like there was a guy named Daryl Holland who has some manual CNC, or manual machining videos. And the guy, Rudy, who's kind of famous in the model world, call hopped or something. So I watched some videos on manual machining. Um, and even then I can remember, cause I'd already been into CNC and I remember getting the first DVD with a bridge port. And I remember literally, I remember being anxious to start the DVD and thinking there's no way they actually turn those machine handles by hand. Like that's absurd. Mm -hmm. And then it ends up that there there was power feed, which I didn't know about, which kind of solved the the problem. But I still thought, my gosh, no, I want, I'm a CNC guy.
1: (laughs) So you had built, uh, you had done the prototype, um, on your CNC. And then, uh, is that when you decided to go back home to Ohio? No, no,
0: that was, geez, I don't know the exact years, but still probably 2009 time era.
1: Okay. But you still were motivated to get uh, the rifle target product to market. That was your... Correct. Um, so, so then what happened? So the short version is
0: I then started, uh, I would rent a car and I drove around New England to find different factories to help us produce the target. And a long story short found one who was capable of doing a lot of the different parts, different, you know, different types of technologies or processes or equipment, you know, metal, sheet metal and machining and fabrication and so forth. And they ended up quarterbacking the whole project, which was tremendously helpful. So we ended up having a little factory inside a factory where they would keep our inventory, like a
1: cell kind of,
0: yeah, you could almost call it like turnkey manufacturing where they would sub out everything else and um the only reason to this day I believe this the only reason that they took us on was that I showed up having rented a car with a Pelican case with the two targets, the original one that was built by somebody else and the second version that I built myself and I kind of had this I didn't say this but I kind of had this like I'm figuring this out guys like we're finding we're, we want someone who gets what we're trying to do here mm-hmm. and I think they I think they sort of thought oh my gosh if this kid's if this kid's willing to go this far, um,
1: I'll give him a shot. Exactly. So then they, they started, um, producing the targets and assembling them and, and then,
0: and then, um, we would travel around to different events and trade shows and, um, private ranges and public ranges and, and sell our targets. And the short answer is, there are elements that we did incredibly well on. We got some pretty cool government and military customers and contracts, but the reality was we never would have gotten the sales to a point where it would have justified two of us working full time on this business. Mm -hmm. But before that was an issue, what happened was we were filming, uh, when we would go to these events, we wanted to capture footage because we were going to use YouTube, uh, I'd already been doing YouTube videos for the machining stuff, Mm -hmm. and we knew we wanted to use that for marketing for the target company. So my uh, partner and I decided, well, let's put cameras on the rifles that we're using or the military is using or the police are using or whatever. So we started making uh Picatinny is the a rail system that's common across lots of different uh, rifles and pistols and so forth. So we basically started making camera mounts, uh, Picatinny camera mounts for things like GoPro and contour and tripods and DSLRs. And again, long story short, uh, the camera mounts took off.
1: Okay. You put a camera mount on the, uh, on the gun, Correct. And nobody had done that before?
0: Uh, I wouldn't say that. I'm sure somebody had done it, but um, this was right before GoPro kind of became a household name. GoPro was a little bit right. more right. of a niche product back then.
1: And and that way you would show the target being hit by having the camera on there?
0: It, yeah. So you could either face it downrange and it would look as if you were the user or operator of the, of the firearm which could help people understand what the target does and how it works. It is a coolness factor for folks that are in that world. Or you could actually point it back at you, and it actually is a very useful training tool uh, for various different people that are actually doing this professionally. So situational awareness, how they're moving, how their uh, coordination, their where their hands are, uh, running team drills. There's lots of different stuff that make it useful. Wow. And the funny thing was we had really, I not want to say struggled, but really been through a lot to bring this complicated product to market in, that was the target, and then all of a sudden we start making these camera mounts that we machined in-house uh, out of a single piece of aluminum, and, you know, it didn't take very long before we realized, wait a minute, we're making a lot more money selling these camera mounts than we are targets.
1: Right, right. Well, that we did a story when we were a print magazine about, have you heard of the company Zacuto? No. They're one of the, the big uh, rig makers for... um You know, for DSLRs and other cameras, and, yeah, they use uh, all kinds of machine shops in the United States, et cetera, to do that. Uh, So it sounds like it's in sort of that neighborhood. So the mounts were the first product where you started making money? No, we were made, we'd made money with the targets, but mm-hmm.
0: it, it, uh, the camera mounts were exciting because now all of a sudden we had a product that lots of folks were willing to buy. We knew, you know, my first ever fixture that I ever made was for that camera mount. We could rapid prototype. We were powder coating in a toaster oven in our basement. Um, hmm. You know, w- w- it was exciting. Uh, it was that confluence of, you know, we had the equipment, we had some enough knowledge to get going. Uh, we had sales. We, now we could build up a little website. We could do fulfillment.
1: Um, and, and the and whole time you were documenting these things on video for people? I didn't. I don't think I put a, a ton of the camera mount stuff. We never used the YouTube channel to sell.
0: Didn't seem like the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But if you look at some of the YouTube videos, like if you look at a powder coating video, I never mention it, but the product that we're powder coating is one of the early uh, GoPro mounts.
1: Right. But you were documenting a, a lot of the processes you were doing on YouTube. Right. Right. Okay. And, uh, and then,
0: then short answer is that business, ultimately the partner and I disagreed on the future of the company. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that disagreement resulted in us deciding to shut the company down. Um, it had a good run. We learned a lot, but, uh, wasn't going to be, wasn't going to work out. So I, uh, decided now that I had kind of this free time to kind of pour myself into a combination of job shop work, as well as just enjoying machining, making more videos. And I did that for two or three years. Uh, again, I kept my day job just enjoying it nights and weekends. So I didn't have that pressure, uh, Per se, but really loved. I love, like, I at this point had a small plasma, CNC plasma machine. I had a lathe, I had a surface grinder. So here I am, like, feeling like I can make anything. Uh, and that was, that's awesome to this day. But when you're new to that, it was super, super cool.
1: And you were doing all the machining yourself and all the videos yourself, or did you have, have uh, people help you with the videos?
0: No, no. it, it all, Everything on the videos, I did until about a year ago. So, so definitely all on my own for all the videos you did until a
1: year ago. You hadn't yeah. delegated other people to make the videos.
0: Yeah, I mean, if we we have I think a, about eleven 1, hundred videos up, and maybe only the last hundred were done by. Uh, we have a full time person here now.
1: Yeah, I figured you had that full time person for a long time. Nope, yep. you must I did be. Them all. You must be very fast.
0: <laughs> yeah, we get, you get good at editing. And we never do retakes. It was always just we just film and go.
1: Yeah, I guess you'd have to do that. Then after that, is that when you went to Ohio back to your uh, when you started the next business? Uh, So
0: I then ultimately decided uh, for some reasons outside of the business, um, you know, my wife and I had started a family um, that I wanted to think about leaving the New York City area. I had enjoyed it. But um,
1: yeah, it's a tough, tough, tough place to raise a family.
0: Right. It just wasn't the right place for me. Um, And at this point, I had enough confidence in even just job shop work that I thought, okay, I can do this. I know I can do this, especially if I start going full-time. But it was a little crazy because I I literally had never done it. I'd never relied on that as my Mm full-time occupation uh, until we moved. uh, ultimately ended up moving back to Zanesville,
1: Ohio, where I grew up. Listeners, do you have an idea for a future episode of Swarfcast? Or is your company interested in advertising on the Swarfcast podcast? If so, please send us an email at swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. That's swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. And then in Zanesville, you rented out space, hired a couple people and started. Is, is that how it happened? Or
0: had a part time person helping me for quite a while. Uh, I did not rent a shop started out. Uh, my uh, grandfather let me use about 1000 square feet in a building on the family farm. <laughs> and so for me, I'm thinking, hey, that's a way I think I technically had to rent it, but it was pretty cheap. Um, but uh so I started out there again, as an entrepreneur, I was always a bootstrapper. So trying to avoid risk, trying to, to not spend money if you didn't have to. And, um, when it was just me and a, you know, really, I think I had like the Tormach mill, a lathe Bridgeport, a grinder, you didn't have that much stuff. Um, and I'd been in a single car garage for the past four years. So moving to a thousand square foot section inside of a Actual farm building where we had a tractor that could have a, that could act like a forklift and more hmm. space. I mean, that was a to me that was a big upgrade.
1: Okay, and then you kept making videos and uh, and you were doing job shop stuff at the time as well. Um, or were, did you develop you you have some other products? I see you sell online. Uh, how did that? What was the evolution of that? So the evolution of that was was
0: only did job shop work. When I moved here, um, I also decided, hey, YouTube is something I really care about. Mm-hmm. Sounds silly, but it's my one chance to change the world just because of the scale. I think at the time I had about thirty thousand subscribers, wow. and I told myself, okay, if you're going to do this full time and you're trying going to try to, you know, make it as a machinist or a manufacturing guy, you need to make one video a week because the people that I had seen on YouTube that did well had a schedule and a commitment. And I thought, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make myself I'm gonna make myself stick to a schedule. Um, and so we've actually held that schedule to this day. Um, we've done I think 217 or something straight, 227 straight Wednesday widgets that we've never skipped a week. Uh now at about 190, uh we started I started getting help on the actual widget itself. So the we've now got a, a a group of people here um, that helped me with those, but I did most. I did basically all of the first 190 of them myself.
1: That's amazing. Were you were you marketing the videos, or were you just putting them up? And it happened to be really relevant content to a lot of people, and it organically caught on.
0: Yeah, d- d- never just all organic. Never no did
1: Twitter, marketing. Instagram, Facebook, none of that. It just uh, you I mean, just we, got would, a following. we would
0: mention it on. Facebook or Instagram, maybe here and there, but we never ever paid for any of those like sponsored stuff. It was all just
1: me, just. And you never doing hired it. anybody to like go and and put stuff on there for you, etc. It was all you, correct? God, I don't know how you have so much time. Uh, <laughs> okay. So then from there to now, what
0: uh, ended up moving shops? Um, got a little bit of a bigger shop. Um, got away from, you know, being within a family lease, which is good at first, but not good in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened then is stuff really started to come together. So when I moved shops, I had the person who had been helping me part-time started full-time. Then we got, I think we got another machine. Then uh, at this point I was starting to think about, I had had a number of individuals email me because I think of the YouTube channel and say, Hey, I want you to come help me I'm in Phoenix or I'm in Kansas or wherever, and I never wanted to do that because I couldn't figure out how that how that would work, let alone how it would scale up. So what occurred to me was, well, why don't I just have these people come to me? And so we—that's mm-hmm. literally the genesis of our training program.
1: Um, they wanted you to help them because you had made all of these instructional videos online, so they figured, oh, you guys are gurus; you should come help us. Is that kind yeah, of exactly. it? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So. At first were you was this a gratis thing? You were just like, Yeah, I'll help you. You're in the community.
0: No, this was more like somebody would say, Hey, I'm a retired doctor. I want you to I want to pay you to come out to show me how to run this Tormach and make these parts I want to make. Or some of it would be, Hey, we're a business, we're really struggling. Could you get some help? And again I didn't that didn't I couldn't that didn't jibe with me. I couldn't think about how that would make sense, let alone now having a family and all that. So we just said, hey, let's just start a training program. So I bought, I think, eight or ten PCs, and we had enough machines to do two people per machine. And I put together a curriculum of what I thought people would need to learn. Like, l- literally, this is what I wanted in 2007. I wanted to pay somebody to come show me CAD, to show mm-hmm. me CAM, to show me w- what an end mill is. How do I set it up? How do I set tool heights? How do I set my coordinate system? How do I hit cycle start? Um and we've been doing that now for probably two and a half, maybe even three years
1: oh you've only you've only been doing that for two and a half three years doing the yeah, the classes right because I saw the classes online. It seems like now it's it's a pretty organized thing,
0: yeah, we've gotten it down to a pretty good curriculum. We've got a few different types of classes we've got a now we're in another shop, but this will be our home for if not forever, certainly for a very long time, but we've got a really nice dedicated classroom. Um, and we've got a pretty formal process to how we do the classes.
1: Do you teach, uh, some of the classes or is it mostly you have a staff now that teaches the classes?
0: Mostly a staff for sure. I, I, I will hop in every once in a while on a certain few things, but generally we've got a guy, Kevin, who's not only incredibly good, uh, at, uh, the Autodesk products as well as machining, but he's a really good teacher.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And, and what are all the classes you offer?
0: We do a TIG welding class. That's kind of a separate class that's run by some of the guys that are big in the welding world. Uh, then we do an intro to Fusion Three Hundred and Sixty. It's a class that we keep the price really low on because we just want it to be for anybody, any age who wants to understand. Maybe they've never used CAD or Solid Modeling. It's a two-day class, um, and a couple then we do a, that's all three hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's followed by our main class, which is a three-day hands-on machining class where you come and you make three different parts from scratch. So you're doing the CAD, the CAM, the tool pass, you know, setting up the machines and you are running the machines, you know, you're running your own code, uh, which is, which we're proud of because there's some other programs or training stuff, not that much, but there's some other programs out there in the country. But a lot of times they, um, you know, you program the part, but then you end up running pre-programmed code that's not yours. So um, my opinion is you've got to potentially make mistakes or learn or you got to act like, you know, what's going to happen the day you're back at your own shop making your own part.
1: Right. So this, this is supposed to prepare somebody with all of the processes for them to make a part. And, you know, maybe they don't end up doing all of those processes themselves, but they have to have an understanding of them and have the have the ability and do you think a lot of people can do this intense course and come out uh ready or do do people have to repeat them
0: uh no we've had a. am uh, always awkward. i don't enjoy self-promotion it's just not my style but we've had an incredibly good uh feedback over the years i mean we've literally had now hundreds of people go through this course and um You get, obviously, the difficult thing about teaching is you'll have different uh, folks with different backgrounds, different skill sets, different expectations. But uh, generally, the feedback has been tremendous of folks who it's exactly what they need to actually be out there on the machines, you know, asking questions, setting things up. Um, Like I said, we don't encourage that you make mistakes, but we want you to go through that process so that you're confident when you get back and you're trying to make your own parts or make them on your machine, Mm -hmm. you either already have the answer or – you at least know enough to say, okay, I remember this is a problem. Here's where I can go to figure this out, or learn more, or ask
1: more. How much experience do these people have prior to coming? Are there some people that you know have never done anything, or are these people people that have worked in the shops? Or
0: we've had many people who have literally never touched a machine before.
1: Wow! And then the hope is that they can go back, use what you've what they've learned, and then practice and hone the skills i mean yeah
0: and we get people that are sent here by companies where they're never going to be a machinist but they need to understand design for manufacturing better or they need to work with their own machine shops better or um lots of it's funny i never anticipated but lots of different reasons why folks end up coming to the classes
1: wow i mean because you hear you know university training courses and you know longer term things but this this is an intensive thing um to would i mean do people go to this before they're applying for a job at a larger shop or is it mostly like do it yourselfers
0: we don't track uh or share the specific breakdown but okay. it's a definitely a mix of both weekend warriors hobbyists retirees um younger folks who are just trying to learn as well as we do get a number of corporate users uh machine shops folks that are looking to You know, we we now offer um, Haas machines as an option during our training class. So Mm -hmm. you can either come and learn on a Tormach or a Haas. So if you're trying to decide between the two, what's a better way than coming and seeing it in person? Or uh, if you're, you know, we see a lot of reshoring and folks that are tooling up now to bring production in-house. So we get folks that come here because good grief. If you ordered a Haas and you have no idea how to run it, uh, this is, I will say without hesitation, one of the best ways to get prepared for that.
1: Would a shop, though, a, a large factory that's hiring people, you know, right off the street, you know, people that they consider uh, having potential, would, you know, do they send people to your intense training course as a – or is it kind of not on their radar? Uh, they wouldn't? Yeah, it's
0: not really that. I mean, the big companies generally will have in-house training. Because they want to do it know. their way. Yeah. And we're not, you know, we, we give you a certificate, but we're not accredited or formal. And, um, we know people have come through our class and are either better suited for their current job or end up, you know, hitting the job market to get a promotion by moving to a new company. But we're not, again, we're not the type of curriculum where it'd say, Hey, come here. And you're going to be able to walk out and get a, go get a job at XYZ aerospace shop. That's not that's not the pitch.
1: Right. This is more for people that want want to get something started themselves.
0: No, it could be for machine shops and corporate users and, and in house manufacturing prototype. There's a lot of different reasons, but mm-hmm. um, the better example, I guess, to your question would be we've had a number of people who, just from watching our YouTube videos, uh, and I've never met these folks, but they've emailed us and they said, hey, I had an interview at xyz defense company or a major engineering company and i ended up getting the job over the other 10 applicants because i had talked about how i'm already using cam in doing these parts and i'm passionate about it and i'm learning and i'm self-taught which is not only a very good skill set for their job but it shows an initiative and level of interest um, absolutely absolutely so that's that to me is amazing. That's awesome.
1: So and then now, in addition to that, you uh, you still produce products. Um, what are the products you produce, and are these proprietary?
0: So we make uh, fixture plates, which are certainly not proprietary. We're proud of our design and um, you know kind of how we make them and the quality. But it's a, it's a sort of standard fixture tooling plate for. Uh, We used to make them just for Tormox, but we now make them for Haas and Brothers and Fanex and lots of other size machines. Um, But it gives you a grid plate hole. So lots of, um, you know, the pitch we give is it does three things. It protects your machine table. Uh, It lets you easily and quickly set up either fixtures or vices uh, because of the precision bores. And it lets you, um, you know, generally work with larger parts or hold parts in different orientations because, you know, a, a, a typical plate has between four, four and nine hundred holes, uh, which is a lot more versatile than the typical, you know, T slots on a on a machine center.
1: Hmm.
0: By far, our most popular accessory for those is a thing we call the Mod Vise. So it's a low profile, modular uh, workholding or vice system. It's, it's it's a great product. It's very it's wonderful for use for either small parts or large parts uh, as a, just a either a job shop or a manufacturing company.
1: What is the most uh, profitable part of your business?
0: Uh, we don't really think about it like that. Um, uh, we we I love that I get to do what I do. Um, you know, the training program is awesome because of the people we get in. Uh, I personally enjoy the videos because that's kind of the global reach and there's a lot of energy there. And it's been fun. You know, we didn't run products for a number of years, but now it's fun to get back into products because it's fun to pour yourself into a process and in making that perfect. And how do you do that work holding and how do you optimize that cam Mm -hmm. and how do you evaluate tooling? Um, I actually very much enjoy that.
1: Well, it keeps you close to it and keeps you inside it. I mean, it's kind of like the, kind of like the administrator doctor or the teacher doctor that sees the patients, you know, you, 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 you stay close to it for a while though, then you were just doing the training courses and the videos and job shop work, and job shop work. But you don't do job shop work anymore, or correct? Hmm. I was I was listening to your very first podcast, and uh, you said on there, entrepreneurship is lonely, or can mm-hmm. be lonely. <laughs> sure. Wait, explain that.
0: I think we are raised in a world where you're given, you know, good or bad feedback and reinforcement so it obviously starts with your parents uh it very much starts in it continues with grade school in college or high school uh and then even when you're working for somebody in a job you either get feedback reviews that are formal or informal or you have a boss or they talk to you about how you're doing or you know most people have a sense of how you're doing mm-hmm. and you you don't get that in entrepreneurship um you know when people ask me about starting a YouTube channel um, you know, one of the things I sort of say is be willing to do it for a year or two and don't even look at your subscriber count. Don't look at how you're doing <laughs> be- because you know, I didn't start this because I thought, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go out and create the biggest YouTube channel about in CNC machining. No, I started cause I loved it. And I thought this is fun. It's a chance to share it.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, that's the way most of the world works. And, you know, you have this end goal and, but, yeah, I think the the way you did it organically for the love, is that is the secret. Right. But it's hard. It's hard to do that. <laughs> um, what's a typical day in your life? You have so many different things. Oh, that's a
0: good question. Um, you know, we just um, – actually, uh, when I wrap up this podcast, I'm going to go review two videos. So Julie has edited two videos. We use software called Asana to track all the different projects that are going on for – production, R&D, filming, training, shop tasks. So I very much quarterback and oversee that. So people can drag things into my bucket, which means it's on my plate. So I've got to review two videos, get either feedback or approval on those. Um, I just moved my desk. I used to be kind of in an office in the front of the shop and I've just moved my desk back out to the shop floor because it's been the last year in an office, which may have been a good thing to Mm -hmm. kind of grow the business and get a lot of things formalized. Um, You know, we've gone from having you know, one or two full-time employees to having about six people. Um, But I like being at the machines.
1: Six, six, six full-time employees. We
0: have, let's see here. I'm going to count in my head here. Five full-time employees. And then we are really active with interns. So at any point in time, we'll have between two and three interns.
1: That's it? With all the video production and all the, that's incredible. And I, I noticed on your website because one of the things I thought was really cool on your website is that you're you're so into sharing things and you you share with everybody. We use right uh, this software. Um, we use and you say you use Upwork, which is something I've really gotten into in the last few months. I've hired a, a virtual assistant um, and. How are you how, how are you we using don't do upwork? anything
0: like a, a VA uh, on an ongoing basis but we have active upwork people for things like I don't know SEO for shopify for hacking you know we had a nightmare of a problem with a shopify freight plugin for quoting splitting out orders whether they go parcel or freight and that's the kind of thing that you know, I I could probably try to figure it out, but it would be a huge waste, a huge time suck, and I don't need to learn JavaScript or Python or whatever. So, um, mm-hmm. we use it for a lot of, I would say, reactive needs, or you know, we need a graphic design done, or a change, or a, a logo, or um, that kind of stuff.
1: Do you consider yourself a, a micromanager? Uh, I
0: would say, if you ask my employees, it's probably the exact opposite. I, mm-hmm. if anything, I'm conscious about the fact that. Um, when somebody starts here, uh, we usually either have them go through our training program or we give them a kind of an abbreviated version and then it's very hands-off. Um, I'm involved, don't get me wrong. And I'm, um, Mm -hmm. I care and I like to be in the, in the details of figuring things out, but we give folks a pretty fair amount of free room to rent to run and things like mistakes, you know, that kind of rule is if you make a mistake, you know, you break a tool or you do something, all that we ask is that you're honest and open about it so that we can all kind of learn from it and hopefully not repeat that mistake. Um, But we, you know, what I, what is unacceptable to me is somebody who, you know, breaks an end mill and just quickly tries to throw it away because they don't want to worry about getting in trouble. I care about that if you do it twice, but no, we don't um, micromanage at all.
1: Okay. So you were, you were mentioning your, your routine. Uh, So after you you were going to have a meeting about a process and and then what? Where are you? You're going to oversee some videos today. Are you actually going to get on the editing board, or is now somebody is in charge of that and and you're just um, a yeah director, exactly kind of. the the
0: latter. Um, so I'll end up giving. Usually, what I do is I actually do screen recordings of the feedback. It's a very efficient way for me to make comments and questions without. And let's um, Julie or whomever kind of watch or rewatch as she needs to so that, that I don't have to be it's a- asynchronous communication basically I can um, get her the feedback and then she can handle it when she's got time to do it at her own pace
1: do you miss that though do you miss being at the computer editing or are you kind of tired of editing I mean I, I've edited a lot of videos and projects over the years too part of me edit uh, misses it and part of me is just like I love machining you uh, uh, somebody likes
0: editing as much as I like machining and that's you know, the kind of one of the, it's not a cliched phrase, because it's a good phrase. But one of the things about entrepreneurship is, you know, find what you're not good at, find people who are good at that and let them go do it. Um, Julie loves editing. So I still, we all film, that's the kind of one quirk, you know, sometimes Julie's filming, sometimes I film, sometimes Ed films, sometimes Jared films, sometimes Alex films, anybody can kind of film. um, But Julie's the only one that edits.
1: Yeah, you must have a lot of trust in these people. If you're because it, you have a very high standard, I can tell. So uh, right. that's impressive. Six people—you must have a lot of trust. So you hands-on. The most things you're doing uh, is on the machines, or are you directing that as well now? Are you? Do your? What are your hands-on?
0: Uh, I mean, I'm still the guy who deals with. You know, we broke an end mill. We don't know why, or we're getting chatter, and I don't know why. Like uh, you know. I am the best machinist in the room. <laughs> I'll leave it at that, but I'm pretty good. Like, you know, I've gotten pretty good at understanding. Um, I would never ever tell somebody that I'm a great machinist, but you know, when we have, um, chatter and we're trying to understand or is it gauge length. Is it because it's in a shrink fit holder? Is it because we've got chip thinning effect because it's a work hardened surface, you know, I can, I'm good enough to now understand just about any of that sort of thing. Um, so I still end up being reactive to a lot of different things. Problem solver. Yeah, exactly. Um, the last few months have been a lot of um, kind of getting ready for 2019. So we just did a whole new shop layout. In fact, that's the video I'm going to review is a quick shop update video where we talk about, hey, we changed our workflow in in the shop um, layout, which is pretty good. We uh, damaged a high feed mill last week, and we ended up TIG filling it using the insert, the broken insert as a dam. Uh, it looks great, but, uh, I need to run a quick test cut on that. Uh, we're testing out a new insert drill as a comparison on tool life and, you know, kind of process reliability. So I've got to run some tests on that. I've got an article to do for our, our, um, NYC CNC website, which I'm actually excited for. Uh, I've got to get a crate ready to go out for anodizing. Um, so, you know, that all happens without me, except I'm still the guy that you know does the PO or prints out the bill of lading. So don't get me Ugh, wrong.
1: You're the you're the person that prints out the bill of lading. Yeah, God, you know,
0: haven't gotten there yet. Well, we will. Not a great use of my time, but I, you know, I've never
1: I'm never too good to do anything. Is there anything else uh, you'd like to say uh, to the world? Or um, this has been a, a a really really fascinating interview. Is so much to learn uh, from the things you've done, and uh, I, surprisingly, I had never heard of the NYC CNC website, which is, it's strange, Uh, but now
0: I... I, So you knew the YouTube channel, but not the website? No,
1: I I hadn't heard of any of it. How'd you find us? uh, This guy, um, Cody, uh, from... Camplete? Yeah, Camplete. Yeah, sure, sure. He was a fan of... uh, Swarfcast, awesome. And he emailed me saying, um, "You know, I have some processes. Would you like me to be on the show?" Yeah. Uh, And he said, "Oh, you can check out my video on NYC CNC." And got it. uh, I said, "Hey, can you get me in touch with this guy?" And (laughs) that—that was how I found you. Um, I really appreciate you getting back to me uh, via email. That, I mean that. That says something about you that you're you're willing to do that because you're just crazy busy. So, um, it's, it's but I was you,
0: so, so, when you ask about parting words, it, it, there's a lot of hard things about business. I won't sugarcoat it, but the reality is, being a decent human being, uh, responding to people, um, sets you ahead of a huge percentage of the world out there. It's a joke yeah. how how, how uh, and look, I'm not always the nicest guy and I can get stressed out or I can be rude, but most of the time I try to be nice and, uh, at least communicate with people. And again, you know, when it comes to being a machine shop, a lot of times you're not selling the part that goes in the box. You're selling the whole experience of giving somebody a quote and helping them out and fulfilling that order and getting it to them in a timely manner and communicating about that. And you could probably be a B quality
1: machine shop
0: of course everybody says that they're the best machine shop in the world but you could probably be a
1: bunch of bs yeah yeah
0: you could be a b machine shop with a communication and i bet you win a lot of deals
1: yeah no that that it makes that totally makes sense uh i was i was listening to the do you ever do you listen to many podcasts i do not yeah i was listening to the freakonomics podcast uh this week and they were talking about trader joe's and you know trader joe's doesn't they don't do advertising. Mm-hmm. They they have a very limited amount of products compared to everybody else. Like you know, they're selling their home brand. Their stuff is is quality, but you know, a lot of it is just their culture. And everybody they hire right uh, wants to talk to the customers. Right wants wants to give them that experience. And yeah, you're totally right. That I mean, that goes so far with your uh, you know with your videos with your I, I, my impression of you and you, what you're doing is that you're a giver. And the more you give, the more you get. Many, you know, Martin Luther King said that, I think, and a lot of people have said that. I'm trying to do that with some of the stuff we do, you know, just some other, some customers we, um, you know, we're in the, the used machine tool business as well as the media business. And sometimes you just do favors for people. You just right. do good. And I think it does it does come back to you. So I, 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 I get it. Uh, and I'm really impressed and I'm really glad uh, I got to get to know you.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: If I find something interesting or we publish something interesting, I'll I'll send you a link sometime. Uh, it sounds like you're – you're into constant improvement, yeah. Um, which
0: and I should I really I
1: respect should
0: mention that if for folks that enjoy uh, this episode of is it Swarfcast, right? Swarfcast, yeah, thank you. Uh, I do a podcast with a fellow uh, machine shop, you know, we call it manufacturing entrepreneurship, uh, John Grimsmo, who's a knife maker, and he and I have had very similar stories or backgrounds. And uh, that we call that podcast the business of machining, and it's not really a it is a podcast, but uh, really what it is is we um, we were kind of tired of all the BS of everyone saying business is great and they're crushing it. And we're like, there's some really tough stuff that we feel like people don't like to talk about when it comes to difficult decisions or second guessing yourself. You know, like you, I, we mentioned earlier uh, it can be lonely sometimes. And so,
1: yeah, I thought that was a really profound uh, thing. I mean, that made sense that you would say that in the very first podcast.
0: So it's a chance of just us. He and I have a private conversation about, Things that we just happen to hit record on,
1: and uh, and you do that once a week, every week. You're yeah. very religious on that. Yep, I, that's it's the, it's it's really important to be consistent. I can't believe you've done it one video every single week. <laughs> that, I mean, I'm a, I, I I'm a video maker on. too, and it's it's even if it's something simple, it's uh, you know you have. Do you have other interests besides uh, business? I mean, you have a family. What? Yeah. Do you Do you have any other hobbies?
0: Uh, I play I play a lot of tennis in the summer. Um, oh, okay. I, I used too. to shoot a lot. I don't really shoot as much anymore. Uh, I, I love working, and I for probably eight or nine years I worked a lot. I mean, I worked a lot, but now my life balance is pretty good.
1: Oh, that's impressive. Because it, I mean, is is the life balance better because you've hired more people?
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and yes. It's a longer conversation in terms of being at a business now where we can have enough it's difficult to outsource it's difficult to have somebody handle shipping if you have one order every four days. Uh, but when you have enough critical mass or momentum to mm-hmm. different things, it actually gets a little bit easier. It's also hard, easier to do to do it wrong, but um and we enable people. You know, you asked me about micromanaging. I mean it's it's kind of the exact opposite.
1: Um Well, I just wanted to know because you were such a, a do it yourselfer. Um, you know, doing everything. So I I wasn't sure if uh, some people have trouble letting go. Yeah, I don't have that problem. (laughs) I love
0: knowing for sure. I love, I'm fascinated. You know, we just put in an energy recovery ventilator to help with filtration. And it's fascinating to me and I want to learn more. But I I can't be, I can't be, you know, putting ducting up these days. (laughs) I'll never get anything else done.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you're doing bills of lading. Like, I mean... Right. That's yeah, quick. <laughs> I, I, you probably roll your eyes at this. Maybe you wouldn't. I don't know. My 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 dad likes to say I work with my dad. Um, my grandfather started the machinery business. Uh, my dad says uh, Mozart didn't move pianos.
0: Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> but he but at one point he probably had to do something to get out. You know what I mean? You don't start from That I, is
1: totally true. Uh, you know, it's it goes totally back true.
0: To how I was raised and who I've worked with, which is again, no one's too good to, you know, I will still, I am still the one that scrubs. I think, I don't know if anybody else has ever done it. Maybe I don't want to discredit somebody if they have, but I still scrub the toilet in the men's room because.
1: Are you kidding me?
0: Not at all. We don't need a cleaning person. Um, and it's a principal thing. Like I'm not too good for Do that. Do you have a now,
1: cleaning person at home?
0: uh, Different question. It was a it was a negotiated concession because uh, my wife is not from Ohio. So when we moved back to Ohio, um, and she works full time, so she's like, "I'd really like to have somebody help clean the house." And so I said, "That's fine."
1: Oh wow, I think I'm just a lazier person than you. <laughs> I, oh my god, I, I'm very impressed. That 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 says a lot that you would be the. That I think that'd be one of the first things you would delegate. Hmm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, it's, you talk about lean and constant improvement. The joke I give about cleaning is that no one cares about cleaning. I don't care about cleaning or sweeping. What I hate is like, oh, I've got to go find the scrub brush. i got to go find the gloves. i got to go find whatever, the toilet bowl cleaner. So, what we have is a little lean setup in the bathroom, and we have all the stuff right there. It makes it, you know, everyone's willing to sweep. That's why we, all of our machine carts have a foxtail and a dustpan. That means when you want to sweep something up, you it's right there and you just do it.
1: Hey, everybody. First, we just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. It boosts our egos, and of course, your ears are the reason we do this. But it would be great if you could subscribe and leave a review, as it'll help other people discover it. Talk to you soon.